In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see you all here. We have all our confirmands and people being received and their hosts and sponsors. It's beautiful to see you all. I'm wondering, have you ever found yourself happily walking down a street somewhere all by yourself and suddenly you realized that for the past 10 minutes you had been talking to a person who had actually died years ago? Or have you ever had a dream about a loved one who has died? And there was just something about that dream that felt different, like that person seemed present to you in a very real way? Or maybe you walked into an old church, or you found yourself in some ancient forest somewhere, and you felt a presence, something that sent chills up your spine and made your, the hair on your arms stand on end. I've had that feeling several times in my life. Once in Assisi, I felt the spirit of St. Francis so powerfully that it changed my whole life. Another time I was working in the hospital and I came upon a woman and her daughter and their pastor. They had all gathered to pray around the bed of the woman's husband. He had been in intensive care for weeks and the doctors all said he was dying. His organs were shutting down, his body was swelling up with fluids. But then, just a few minutes before I came upon them, they all witnessed what they swore to me was the Virgin Mary hovering over the bed, this blue light. And that day, the man began this miraculous recovery. I myself would have been skeptical of the story, except for something that that pastor said as he left. He was completely rattled. He was white as a ghost. And he said, the thing is, I'm a Lutheran. I don't even believe in the Virgin Mary. <laughs> and I watched as he walked down the hallway, shaking his head. He was a man whose life had just gotten completely turned upside down. Apparitions like these are sacred events, and I'm not going to cheapen them by putting them on display like they're some kind of carnival act. I mention them here simply to illustrate that what our ancestors have always maintained, that there are thin places. There are places where the barrier between this world and the next is permeable, and sometimes spirits will pass through the veil. In the earliest centuries of the church, it was believed that those thin places were to be found at the graves of martyrs. When Christians were being persecuted under various Romans, congregations kept a careful record of those men and women who were martyred for their faith. In Rome, the city was divided up into districts and a notary was appointed to each district and it was his rather gruesome duty to witness every execution of a Christian and to record it in writing. Eventually, there were entire catalogs of martyrs secretly preserved. On the anniversaries of their deaths, the community would gather at their graves and celebrate the Eucharist. 
After a while, it became impossible to keep up with all the martyrs, so it was decided to hold a single feast for all saints, just to make sure we were covering all of them. In the year 840, Pope Gregory IV declared that day to be November 1st, a day to honor what he called the apostles, the martyrs, the confessors, and all the just and perfect servants of God. So we've been doing it on November 1st ever since. So if our tradition is correct, there are not only thin places, there are also thin times, thin seasons, or in the case of today, thin days when the cloud of witnesses draws near. It's kind of a celestial convergence, if you will, that happens as winter approaches and the days of darkness lie ahead. In the ancient times, in a world lit entirely by fire, Christians would gather around bonfires blazing against the darkness and call out the names of their patron saints, begging their protection against the lesser spirits, the demons and the ghouls and the goblins. It was thought that the lesser spirits would cross over under cover of darkness to romp and goof and play all kinds of tricks on the humans, which is, of course, how we got the tradition of dressing up for Halloween and running around like gangs of happy idiots, pounding on doors and shouting, trick or treat. The thinking was that if we dressed up like the lesser spirits and we acted all mischievous like them, they would be fooled into thinking that we were spirits like them and they would leave us alone. Personally, I think it was all just a great excuse to have a lot of fun. At any rate, I'm not a big believer in goblins and ghouls and demons, but I have seen with my own eyes the evidence of saints, the mercies of bodhisattvas, the interventions of spirit guides, enough to overrule my quite skeptical brain, even when I simply have to admit I do not understand how it works. We are surrounded by mystery. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies, to paraphrase that famous ghostbuster Hamlet. And so today we honor our saints, our spirit guides, our heroes, our mentors and inspirations. This week I took some time to learn about some of them. Um, did you know about Saint Drogo? Saint Drogo is, this is kind of mean, but he's the patron saint of ugly people. It's true. He was a very young, holy man who contracted this terrible disease that horribly disfigured his face. He became so difficult to look at that in order to spare the villagers the trauma of seeing him, he stayed locked up in a little cell next to the church, living only on water and barley and the Eucharist for 40 years, 40 years. Then there's Saint Roque, the patron saint of pandemics. We could use his help right now. He was another young holy man and he was wandering through Italy. He came across this village that was entirely locked down because of the plague. He stayed. 
and he ministered to all of its people until he too became infected. And then he retreated to the forest and lived alone out in the forest. A friendly dog brought him a loaf of bread every day and he miraculously recovered. It turns out there are patron saints for just about everyone. There's Our Lady of Gisayo, Gisayo, Our Lady of Gisayo, a patron saint of bicyclists. And there's Saint Eligius, the patron saint of gas attendants. I wonder if they hang out together. And then there's Saint Benedict, it turns out, who is not only the patron saint of millions of monastics, he's also the patron saint of spelunkers. And Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of pawnbrokers. The list just goes on and on, it's fascinating. But you know, the saints that I'm calling on these days are the ones that are more recent additions to our Episcopal Church's catalog of saints, the ones who have shown us how to live in these times of social conflict and upset. There's Dr. King, of course. Most of us know he's a saint in our church. And there's Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court Justice and a good Episcopalian. And there's Polly Murray, the brilliant African-American civil rights attorney who I just learned about this week. Polly Murray's legal theory was what Thurgood Marshall used in his argument in Brown versus the Board of Education. And it was her writing on gender disc discrimination that Ruth Bader Ginsburg used in her famous lawsuit in the Supreme Court that won gender discrimination as a legal category. 20 years before Rosa Parks, Polly Murray was arrested for refusing to go to the back of the bus. 15 years before the Freedom Riders, she organized a sit-in at a segregated lunch counter. She was the first African-American graduate uh, to receive Yale Law School's JD. And as if that wasn't enough, she was the first African-American woman to be ordained as an Episcopal priest, an extraordinary woman. Those three saints, Dr. King, Thurgood Marshall, Polly Murray, and thousands of others who will never be remembered, changed the world by daring to cross boundaries. They walked into rooms where they were told not to go and dared us to see them as equals. And now we see them as saints. They dared to believe in this blessing that Jesus pronounces this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They knew something about that blessing. They knew that it is real. It's not just words. It's not just an idea. It's not a mere fantasy. This blessing that Jesus pronounced and that they dedicated their lives to is a very real force in the world. This blessing has changed the hearts and minds of millions of people. This blessing turned dusty church basements into workshops for nonviolent protest.
This blessing turned empty sanctuaries into hopping congregations cheering for freedom. This blessing led hundreds over the Edmund Pettus Bridge to face down the worst that hatred could throw at them. This blessing is not thin or weak. It cannot be defeated by tweets or phony Facebook accounts. This blessing has been pouring itself out upon us for 2,000 years now, and it is not about to stop. This is the blessing that inspires police to sit down and pray with black men. This is the blessing that inspires Bible-believing grandmas to embrace their transgendered grandchildren. This is the blessing that sees into the eyes of a homeless woman and calls out her deepest dignity. This blessing is not some wisp of wishful thinking. It's the very substance of our life together. It's the very heart of our democracy. It is as real as love itself, which overcomes all adversity to achieve its purpose. It's as real as this light, which will always expose the fools among us. It's as real as this hope that burns inside us and will never rest until all of God's people are free. The saints of our church knew all about the reality of this blessing as they crossed over those thresholds to be arrested, abused, ridiculed, and laughed at. They knew they were crossing over into sacred ground. They were stepping into those thin places where God's realm breaks through. They knew they were in the company of legions of saints who had gone before them and legions more to follow, all shouting alleluias and amens. <clears throat> As a nation over the next few years, I'm sorry, over the next few days, as our election approaches and as tensions rise and as this climate of fear spreads, we will all be stepping yet again into one of these thin places. And so we call on St. Pauli Murray to bless us with her courage and her wit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We call on St. Thurgood Marshall to bless us with his perseverance and his faith in justice. Blessed are the peacemakers. We call on St. Martin Luther King Jr. to bless us with the conviction of nonviolent love, that we will never stop loving, especially our enemies. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In this thin place and time, in this moment when the eyes of the world are on us, when the very rule of law itself feels at stake, we call upon all the saints now. Help us, we pray. Defend the dignity of every human being. Help us to stand with the poor and the hungry. Bless us, we pray, that we will all live together one day in a land of true justice and peace. Help us, dear saints of God, to always be a blessing to those who mourn. And upon our death, Help us to enter ever more fully into the glorious company of the saints in light. May it be so. Amen.